0: Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode 103 of the podcast. Today is Sunday, August the 5th, and we're back after a week off, which was totally my fault. I had some family in town, took a little vacation, didn't get around to an episode last week. It wasn't because my co-host wasn't on board. He was ready to go, ready to record, as always. So I'm joined in a very humid state of New Jersey by jeff the animal wilson jeff how you feeling on this sunday afternoon my friend
1: bill honestly i feel a little sticky because it's been humid the last two weeks uh raining probably three out of every five days but uh hopefully it clears up and bill apparently a tornado hit new york thursday night there was a tornado warning that i got on my phone um so there was a lot of downed trees in new york but knowing new yorkers they were probably expecting an apology from the tornado for their inconvenience
0: (laughs) either that or they just didn't react at all people walking down the street in new york and oh there's a tornado (laughs) they just go about their day like nothing as long as it doesn't hit them directly uh, you're not gonna phase new yorkers like nothing like when i was living in new york and uh comic con was going on and all these people are walking around in costumes right i had to walk a good five blocks before i realized it was comic con because you're just so used to weirdos walking around manhattan that if you see somebody in a superman costume you don't even bat an eye at it and then you go down the next block and somebody's dressed as batman and then the incredible hulk the next block it took me a good four or five blocks to realize like oh something's probably going on like some kind of convention i know it was comic-con so uh that that's the way you get as a new yorker you just kind of you just get numb to everything like nothing really phases you um in any case jeff so much mma action has gone on since we last spoke on the podcast anyway obviously you and i text back and forth about mma all the time which is why we do this show every week but uh you know i was away i went down uh, about two hours south to Cape Coral, Florida. Really nice area. Uh, we got a house on the river with the with The family. My wife's family was in town. And um, a lot of people, a lot of good food, a lot of good booze. I visited some breweries, some distilleries. Uh, found a really cool rum distillery down there called Wicked Dolphin. We can get into that a little bit later because we have a lot to catch up on. Uh, if we have time, we'll go over the fights from last week. Obviously, Eddie Alvarez... Uh, taking a big loss to Dustin Poirier and uh, Jose Aldo getting himself back in the win column. Uh, all, you know, really awesome fights from last week, but uh, just too much action to not start the show off with UFC 227, which uh, saw the UFC returning to Los Angeles at the Staples Center. And it was headlined by TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt. Uh, but I want to start off with who I feel like is the biggest winner of the night. And that's Henry Cejudo, uh, who had a rematch with Mighty Mouse Johnson, widely considered to be the best pound-for-pound friar in the world. Uh, I don't happen to share that opinion, but since a lot of people do, we have to acknowledge it. Uh, And what we saw from Henry Cejudo was just expert execution of a game plan. He was so composed. Very different from his first fight with Mighty Mouse Johnson. I was actually really excited for Henry Cejudo to make his debut in the UFC. Obviously an Olympic gold medalist, uh, really high caliber athlete, but I was disappointed when the first matchup was made with Mighty Mouse because I knew he wasn't ready. I think he knew he wasn't ready as well, but the guy is such a competitor. He couldn't turn that fight down. He had only four fights in the UFC and already being uh, put in there for a title shot, uh, four fights, and di- didn't even have a finish. And his last fight before his fight with Mighty Mouse was a split decision. Uh, so he really didn't have his sea legs under him in the octagon yet. And and maybe he doesn't even now. I don't think we've seen the full potential of Henry Cejudo yet. There's still a lot of holes in his game, uh, and we can get into that when we break the fight down. But uh, his, his composure and his timing on his takedowns Uh, was the story of this fight. And I saw some people saying that Mighty Mouse got robbed. I don't think that could be further from the truth. I I scored this with Cejudo winning at least three rounds. Uh, I could argue that he won four. And I I think people are just reacting with their emotions when they're saying it was a robbery. I do think that the fight could have gone either way. At the end of this, I didn't know who the decision was going to go to. Uh, I thought Cejudo won, like I said, at least three rounds. But uh you know you never know with mma judges I, I grew up watching boxing where you have to finish the champ in order to become the champ you know if it goes to a decision the judges scorecards would always favor the champ and uh you know some of that is for good reason you, you should have to decisively beat the champ to become the champ in any case jeff i don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here what was your reaction to this fight which uh was the fight of the night according to Whomever assigns the UFC fight night bonuses.
1: Yeah, Bill, I am not gonna argue too much about that. I thought this was a great fight. Um, definitely one of the best fights on the card. And dude, I was just so impressed with Henry cejudo You know, um, he's come so far in just two years since he fought Mighty Mouse. He his striking looks so improved, he looks so calm on the feet. He came out with this weird karate stance. But when it was time to grapple, Bill he turned it up, and I felt a lot of people say, you know, Demetrius Johnson outstruck him and blah blah blah. Yeah, that's true, but that's over five rounds, and that was the only part of the fight where you could probably say Demetrius Johnson was dominant. I felt like on the ground it was all Cejudo, and yes, Demetrius Johnson. There were times where he popped back up, where he would roll into things and and was able to get out of things, but. It was always on the ground on Henry Cejudo's terms. Basically, whenever Cejudo willed it, they'd be on the fr- on the ground. And the way he combined his wrestling takedowns, you know, we call that chain wrestling. And it was great to watch, man. I think it was the third round. He went for a double, pushed Demetrius Johnson's head away, and then turned into a single, ran the pipe, and took him down. So I kind of had this going um, into the third round. I thought it was going around a piece. I gave the first round to Johnson, the second round to Cejudo. And then I gave rounds three and four to Cejudo based on his wrestling and his takedowns. He was able to hold Demetrius Johnson down, which not a lot of people can do. Uh, You know, he's a tricky guy on the ground. And the last round was kind of a toss up. I kind of gave it to Demetrius Johnson, but I could see why people maybe thought it could have gone either way. I'm of the same opinion. But dude, honestly, you gotta give it to Sahudo, man. He's improved a lot. He's got so much heart in there. And you know, credit to him. He's he now he wants to do what Demetrius Johnson was hesitant to do. He wants to fight TJ Dillashaw, whether it be for the 125 pound belt or 135. Um and Bill, I want to get into that a little bit later because I have a kind of a mixed opinion on that. But Bill, um what did you think? You know, Did you see anything that maybe Demetrius Johnson was a little bit more dominant in, in this fight?
0: Uh, no. And, and he, he outstruck Cejudo, but I don't think he, he really hurt him in any way. And in the post-fight press conference, Mighty Mouse even said, all he did was hold me down, and I don't think the judges know how to score leg kicks. I think the leg kicks were scored appropriately. He landed a lot of them but it didn't do anything because the reason to throw leg kicks is to stop your opponent from taking you down to take the power off their punches. Uh, He didn't stop Henry Cejudo from punching him by throwing the leg kicks. He didn't stop Henry Cejudo from taking him down with the leg kicks. Therefore, yeah, he was landing them, but I think they were scored appropriately because the damage didn't affect Henry Cejudo's game plan or performance. He had to change stances a couple of times, but that's not a big deal for a wrestler either, especially uh, a wrestler of the caliber of Henry Cejudo. Uh, What I was really impressed with, and I can't verify this because I was watching the fights in a bar, so I couldn't hear the commentators very much, and I couldn't hear the corners. But what I picked up on was that around the two-minute mark of every round, Cejudo, like clockwork, would take Demetrius Johnson down. And in the fifth round, uh, this theory was verified about two minutes five seconds of the fifth round so went for that takedown and he looked to control mighty Mouse for the duration of that round and I think that that made a big impact on the judges because it showed that he could do what he wanted he could impose his will. Uh, you could say yeah he just held him down he wasn't going for submissions he wasn't going for much damage but he did whatever he wanted to him and that in itself, Uh, shows that he deserved to win the fight Uh, because if you can't stop him from doing that, if your leg kicks aren't stopping him from taking you down and you can't get back up when he puts you there uh, credit to mighty mouse for those scrambles, though, those were super impressive. He's so explosive and especially uh, being able to get out from underneath a wrestler like Henry Cejudo, very impressive. But again, uh, I think just the game plan and the strategy of Cejudo was more than enough for him to get his hand raised here and uh we can get into what's next for both of these guys in a little bit i i don't see any scenario where the where the ufc will move him up a weight class after this performance maybe if he had gone in there and and knocked mighty mouse out in the first round uh we'd be having a different conversation right now but i don't see any reason for him to be moving up a weight class um he, you know, it, it could even be argued he didn't even deserve this title shot. Uh, he had a he had another loss to Joseph Benavidez after he lost to Mighty Mouse, and then he only had two wins strung together. It just there's nobody else to put in there with Mighty Mouse because he didn't want to move up and fight T.J. Dillashaw, and there's nobody else left in this division. Uh, I, I couldn't even uh, when they when they showed the top five uh, rankings in the division, I didn't even know who the fifth guy was. I still can't tell you. Uh, <laughs> so. I, I think we're, we're probably going to see a trilogy match here as much as the UFC uh, probably may not want <laughs> um, Mighty Mouse to get that title back. I think that's what we're going to see, but uh, that's a whole larger conversation. Let's get into the main event here because it kind of ties into what we're talking about with, uh, you know, where do these flyweights go from here now that Henry Cejudo is at the top of the division. So Big grudge match here. TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt, of course, former teammates. If you're listening to this show, I don't need to get into the history between these two. Uh, they coached against each other on The Ultimate Fighter, and then uh, they were supposed to fight immediately after, but the the wind was brought out of the sails on that one, and, and it was put off. So yeah, last November, TJ knocks out Cody Garbrandt, and uh, it, it was more of the same last night. And he did it even easier this time. And it was pretty much the same story, uh, different setting. Uh, you know, they were just in a different place. So Cody Garbrandt, we didn't see the brash, confident counter striker uh, that we saw on his meteoric rise through the Bantamweight division. We saw a hesitant Cody Garbrandt who was trying to throw haymakers and put TJ Dillashaw away. And TJ Dillashaw's game plan was just too diverse, and he was prepared for everything Cody Garbrandt had to throw at him, and he did exactly what he did to him in the first fight. Uh, Cody goes to throw a big overhand right, and he drops his left hand, and he gets away with it a lot because his hands are so fast. But TJ was expecting it. At one point in the fight, he did it three times in a row. He let Cody Garbrandt throw the right hand three times and countered with the right hook, and the third one dropped him. Uh, It was pretty interesting to see. Uh, and pretty baffling uh, that Cody Garbrandt coming from such a great camp with such great MMA minds would would still be making the same mistakes that got him knocked out in the first fight with TJ Dillashaw. But something was off about Cody Garbrandt going into this fight, going into fight week. He just didn't seem like himself. Uh, He seemed very lethargic, very withdrawn. I'm not trying to make excuses for him whatsoever, but I, I kind of saw this fight going down this way because of that, I don't know if the first fight just zapped his confidence or or whatever the case. But let me get your take on it, Jeff. What was your reaction to the fight, and uh, how did you see it going down before it happened?
1: Yeah, it was weird, man. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It seemed like even in the interviews, Cody Garbrandt wasn't as fired up as he was in the first fight. And I didn't really see Garbrandt as lethargic, but I, I can see what you mean. I kind of took it as. He was fighting for the same reasons as the first fight, whereas TJ, you know, he already knows that he's beaten Cody, so he was a lot more relaxed, and to me, it felt like Cody Garbrandt was just in denial, you know? It's like he, he wouldn't accept that TJ finished him in the first fight, and it was weird, and I think that when that first bell rang, and they were standing across from each other, and TJ Dillashaw standing in front of him, I think it started to sink in a little bit, that because like you said he did look a little hesitant and i think in the back of his mind he was like this guy's knocked me out before i need to be careful so i think that played a big uh factor into this you know just his mentality once the bell rang and dude tj dillashaw was great in there he was mixing it up changing stances showing his awesome footwork that's been compared to dominic cruz and you know cody he fought the same way he fought in the first fight, like you said. He was emotional. He was swinging wild with big looping punches. So TJ Dillashaw just kept his hook a little bit tighter and hit Garbrandt first. He was able to to use his jab pretty effectively, dude. Um, I mean, I I'm kind of well, Bill. You remember as uh, when um, TJ won the title from Cody. I was of the opinion that Cody didn't really deserve a rematch because TJ Dillashaw had to work so hard for his rematch after defending the belt twice. So I don't know, man. I felt like Cody just uh, wasn't super deserving of this one. And I don't know what's on the cards. I would see Cruz coming back, uh, maybe taking one more fight and then getting his rematch with Dillashaw after their first fight. But I think it's going to be a while before we see Cody in the title picture.
0: Yeah, definitely. As long as TJ Dillashaw is the champion, you're not going to see Cody Garbrandt in a title fight, period, unless he changes divisions, which I don't really see that happening either. I think he's a little too big for flyweight, and he, he'll be a little bit too small at featherweight. I think we need to see him take some time off, uh, recover from this knockout. Uh, he needs to get his confidence back, and you got to get him in there uh, with another boxer, maybe a John Lineker, uh, something like that, uh i think uh that would be that would be a fun fight um and someone who's just going to stand toe-to-toe with him and not not really mix it up too much uh just to get his confidence back under him and then uh a lot of people were asking including a lot of the mma journalists they were asking tj gilichoff who are you going to fight next are you going to let henry cejudo come up or are you going to fight dominic cruz and, uh, you know, the name that was left out of a lot of people's mouths was Marlon Marais, who <laughs> a lot of people, uh, you know, rightfully so believe, you know, is deserving of a title shot. But uh, short-term memory is definitely a thing in the MMA world. And uh, unfortunately for Marlon Marais, uh he just got left out of the conversation by a lot of the MMA journalists, uh, probably deserving of the next title shot. But I don't know if we're going to see it. I don't know what. The status of Dominic Cruz is, obviously, that's a bigger-selling fight since you have the rivalry there. They had a really close fight uh, their last time around. A lot of people, including TJ Dillashaw himself, thought that TJ won that fight, and uh, it's much more marketable. I don't see any scenario in which the UFC will allow Henry Cejudo to come up to 135 pounds to fight TJ Dillashaw. I think there's unfinished business between him and Mighty Mouse. Uh, I think you probably have to give him a rematch. Uh, the only other thing you could do is put Joseph Benavidez in there against Cejudo since Benavidez has a win over him, but Benavidez coming off a loss to uh, Pettis. So uh, a lot of muddy waters in these two divisions, but not a bad problem to have. Uh, you know, you still have a lot of prospects in the bantamweight division, not so much in the flyweight division. You only have a few players at the top. You can kind of move around, but we do have some up-and-coming prospects in that division uh, from the Contender Series and uh, even last night, Alex Perez getting a a really impressive knockout victory over Jose Shorty Torres on the fight pass prelims. I don't know if a lot of people caught that, but this was a, a, a firecracker of a fight. So go back and check that one out if you missed it. Uh, I won't spend too much time on the fight pass prelims because we want to keep things moving here. So let's move down this fight card, Jeff. Hinato uh, Moicano and, and Cub Swanson. And before this fight happened, I saw an Instagram poll by, I, I, I want to say it was the UFC uh, or something like that. Who do you think is going to win this fight? And it, it was something in the vicinity of 89% picked Cub Swanson. And when I saw that, I realized, you know, I don't think people are really thinking about this too much because, you know, they see Cub Swanson's name, they recognize him, and of course he's going to win. And I don't want to put people down and say, like, oh, they're just casuals. They don't know anything about MMA. You know, it's understandable that if you don't watch a lot of MMA, you see a name that you recognize, you think that person's going to win. It's only natural. But. Uh, Moicano coming into this fight, his only loss is a submission loss to Brian Ortega, and that's nothing to hang your head about these days because Ortega has been scorching through this division. Uh, this is a this is a dangerous fighter, and uh, you know, young young kid, fairly young, twenty nine years old, and put a nasty jaw crush on Cub Swanson. Uh, it, it looked like he didn't have the choke in all the way, but he had a a really tight body triangle and he had his arm across the jaw of Cub Swanson and uh, it looked really, really painful. And uh, you can't blame Cub for for tapping out to that. So uh, Cub Swanson having a streak of bad luck, but uh, Moicano coming through uh, with a really impressive win and you know, kind of staking his claim in this division, uh, working his way up a very competitive division. So uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff?
1: Yeah, dude, I thought – Moicano looked good in there, man, and that rear naked choke was so tight, man. Even, you know, you know he had it on the jaw and not uh, the neck, but he had such a tight squeeze on it that Cub Swanson had to be uncomfortable. So, you know, some guys got that squeeze where it's enough. And, you know, I don't know what you do with Cub Swanson here. He's got a couple of losses, but he's still a really big draw. Um, as we can see from that poll, you know, a lot of people know who he is and enjoy watching him fight. I think maybe you give him someone who's, uh, ranked maybe, um, 11 through 15, um, give him that, that actually, that would be a really exciting fight. I think somebody, I think if you do do that, I think somebody, I think somebody goes to sleep by the second round bill.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a fun one. Uh, as far as Moikano goes, uh, I'd like to see him get in there with maybe a Mursad Bektik. Uh, that would be a fun fight. Uh, so a lot of interesting things in this division. Uh, any other thoughts on this fight, Jeff?
1: Nope, that's all I got for you, Bill.
0: All right, cool. So we'll bypass J.J. Aldrich and Pollyanna Mota. Uh Not a very eventful fight. So Aldrich getting the decision there uh good for her you know she looked she looked good so um any comments on this one jeff or can we just kind of breeze over
1: no i think we can move on to tiago santos versus kevin holland because i thought this was a really exciting way to start off this card bill
0: yeah excellent excellent fight uh and the story of this fight was the experience of tiago santos so kevin holland a very flashy fighter he he likes to throw out some tricks that would work on somebody with five or six fights. Uh, you know, he was doing things in there that you would do to the white belts at the gym just to kind of mess around. Um, but, you know, Santos didn't even bat an eye at this. Uh, he had his spots where he got into some trouble, you know, the the takedown at the end of the second round uh, where he got stuck inside control there for a little bit. But for the most part, uh, the experience of Santos – Uh, you know, was the story of this fight, like I said. And uh, Kevin Holland, for those who don't know, took this fight on 10 days' notice. So he was on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and he was talking so much trash throughout the fight that, and he he won his fight uh, impressively, but talking a lot of trash, and it kind of turned Dana White off. So they were looking for a replacement for Tiago Santos, and supposedly every middleweight they called turned the fight down i mean who would want to get in there with tiago santos on 10 days notice except the guy who has nothing to lose a guy who doesn't have a ufc contract sure i'll step up to the main card of a pay-per-view and make my ufc debut and take on you know a top 15 middleweight why not uh so i don't think kevin holland loses any stock here in fact i think his stock goes up a lot uh you know he showed his inexperience uh, he showed that he has a lot to work on, but he held his own and he went to distance with uh, a top middleweight and a very dangerous guy in Tiago Santos, who has put away much more experienced fighters in the past. And you have to give a lot of credit to Tiago Santos taking on a guy who, making his UFC debut when he's a ranked fighter. Uh, he had everything to lose and and not really anything to gain by taking this fight. So a uh, big credit to him. You know he's a real warrior who who will actually fight anybody, which. Uh, I I gained a lot of respect for both of these guys after these fight after this fight. Uh, What were your thoughts, Jeff?
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I was really impressed with Kevin Holland. You know, he's a tough dude. He showed a lot of heart, and you know, he was a little tricky in there. Thiago Santos. It looked like he was in positions where he could put Kevin Holland away, and Holland was able to survive. um, Like, uh, and uh, one example is in the first round when Tiago Santos was in Holland's guard he was throwing down hammer fists and Holland was making him miss a lot you know up until the third round he was making it difficult for thiago Santos so really impressed with both of these guys um but dude Kevin Holland <laughs> dude even in this fight I you know I didn't see the contender series where he was talking all that smack but even in this fight he was talking to Tiago Santos as he's trying to you know, hammer his face in <laughs> uh, yeah that takes guts uh, yeah yeah definitely an interesting fighter for sure
0: yeah and, and i think we'll, we'll be seeing him again uh he he did look a lot smaller than santos in my opinion a uh, young kid I, I guess he's still got some filling out to do but he you know he has a frame for middleweight for sure i think he's like six three uh somewhere in that neighborhood uh, but yeah, this is one of the best fights, uh, of the night. And yeah, talk, talking a lot of stuff. I don't even know if Santos would have understood him, <laughs> but you know, he was, that didn't, that didn't stop him. In any case, uh, let me throw a couple of, uh, I'll just throw a pair of fights at you this time, Jeff. And then I only have one more after that I want to talk about. So Pedro Munoz taking out Brett Johns and Brett Johns really showing his toughness by not being put away in this fight Uh, i think he had to be carried out of the cage but man what a tough son of a bitch and then uh ricky simone using his wrestling to grind out uh montel jackson uh so out of these two fights jeff which one kind of piques your interest the most
1: definitely muñoz versus brett johns brett johns uh such a tough guy man he was eating a bunch of leg kicks uh shots to the body were hurting him really bad and somehow he didn't get finished um, he was able to really tough it out and grind it out um you know I, I've always liked Brett John's ever since I saw him get that um that calf slicer on Joe Soto um, but to, last night he proved that he's he can't you know it's not just about technique with him he's also a really tough guy he's got a lot of heart man I'm excited to see what's next for him yeah for sure
0: and then uh, the only other fight I want to touch on on this card uh, was what they call the curtain jerker, the first fight of the night. And that was Marlon Chido Vera against Weligi Buren. And this was a fight that Marlon Vera was losing. Uh, he was definitely down and out uh, going into the second round. And then at the end of the second round, he lands a nasty body punch that drops Buren. At, and he was able to put him away there. And Vera... You know, a highly touted bantamweight prospect, 25 years old, super tough. Uh, he's got some really impressive finishes under his belt. Uh, coming off of two losses, though, and then coming off losing over a round and a half uh, and coming back uh, with, the, with the knockout win, I thought it was a really impressive performance uh, by Marlon Barrett here. Uh, did you catch this one, Jeff? And if not, give me your reaction anyway
1: i did not but um he's fought some tough guys man uh he lost to john lineker uh who's a tough dude beat brian kelleher and brad pickett also tough really tough guys um and this guy uh marlon vera black brazilian jiu-jitsu he's a good fighter man and like you said he's young so i'm excited to see him add a little bit more striking to his mma repertoire um and great for him, man, that he got that finish. That is not easy, an easy task.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, so overall, really great card. So uh, if you missed those bypass prelims, uh, definitely go back and check out the Vera and Buren fight. That was that was an awesome fight. And definitely go back and check out the Perez-Torres fight. Uh, those are my two recommendations uh, if you happen to, to miss those. So let's talk a little bit really briefly about the fights from last week and i i was on the uh martial arts chat podcast prior to this card and i don't want to toot my own horn here jeff but i made three picks and you know me i don't like to make picks because i like to play devil's advocate with everything but you know gun to my head i I had to make the picks um and, and i did and all three happened to be right and the one i'm I'm happiest about is Jose Aldo getting back in the wind column against Jeremy Stevens. I think a lot of people really, uh, you know, wrote Jose Aldo off, which it kind of saddens me to see, uh, especially because I don't think it's that warranted. Obviously he had the the 13 second knockout loss to Conor McGregor, and it seemed like kind of downhill from there, but uh, you know, two losses to Max Holloway, who may be the best featherweight ever, Uh, you know, you could make that argument and I'm sure he's going to continue building on his legacy. If he stays at featherweight, uh, we don't know what his health situation is currently, but, uh, Jose Aldo did, uh, exactly what I thought he needed to do in order to win this fight. He stayed composed. He didn't get into a brawl with Jeremy Stevens, who typically struggles with elite level fighters. Uh, you know, we saw him struggle against Frankie Edgar. Uh, So, and and that's the other thing with Aldo. Uh, You forget that he has a win over Frankie Edgar in between the losses to uh, McGregor and Holloway. So I don't see why people were so quick to write him off. I definitely wasn't. I don't feel like he was washed up. He's only 31 years old. He's got a lot of miles on him, but I I thought it was an awesome performance by Jose Aldo, and I I was really happy for him. You you could see the emotion on him and just – such a nasty body shot uh just shutting jeremy stevens liver off uh I, I think my liver was hurting uh watching that but i was pretty well liquored up by that point uh what, what were your thoughts on the fights from last week jeff
1: Well, i thought last week's card was awesome especially since it was a free card on fox and dude i was so happy for jose aldo um like you said i felt i was feeling the same way like a lot of people were writing him off but he is one of the greatest featherweight champions ever he was the first featherweight champion uh that the ufc ever had and he was champ for a really long time and dude he looked great in there i thought that It looked like Jeremy Stevens had him hurt at one point, but Aldo was able to recover. You know, he's a tough dude. And that body shot, it was an uppercut to the liver, and he just knocked the wind out of Stevens' sails. You could see him fold right up like an accordion, and, you know, it was over from there. And like you said, so much emotion on Jose Aldo's face. I feel like he was walking around with kind of a weight on his shoulders after the losses to Max Holloway and conor mcgregor and i think that he needed this win just in his own mind to remember how great he really is yeah but bill, for sure. but bill speaking of great i thought the main event on this one on last week's card was awesome dustin poirier versus eddie alvarez bill walk us through this what happened
0: uh pretty much exactly and again not to toot my own torn exactly uh what i had said was gonna happen and if dustin poirier was able to stay composed uh you know he's one of the most dangerous lightweights in the world uh by far and that's exactly what he did uh Eddie Alvarez had a great plan uh he had some nasty punches to the body uh that that probably would have dropped a lot of people i always compare uh Eddie Alvarez's body punches to Mike Tyson the way he turns his whole body into them is just vicious and then you know he had Poirier down against the cage he threw the 12 to 6 elbow which is a ridiculous rule but you can't do it it's the rule so don't do it and he lost the position and then Poirier knocked him out um I I don't think Alvarez should be using that as an excuse for why he lost the fight because he did go up to Poirier afterwards and say like oh you got stood up though uh (laughs) I mean (laughs) don't you know don't break the rules um yeah (laughs) so Poirier obviously at this point deserving of a title shot especially after you know, putting the nail in the coffin with this feud with Eddie Alvarez, obviously with a no contest uh, in their last fight, uh, we had to settle this thing. We had to see this fight. We saw it. Uh, Poirier definitely established himself as a contender for the title, but uh, we got some murky waters in this division, as we do in a lot of divisions. Uh, so now we know it's official that Conor McGregor is going to be fighting Khabib Madoff in October in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, of course people are coming and saying, Oh, Conor McGregor doesn't deserve a title shot. He's been out for however long. Why does he come back and get an immediate title shot? If you don't know the answer to that question after it comes out of your mouth, I, I can't help you. Uh, (laughs) I mean, unless you've ever run a successful billion dollar industry in your (laughs) life, uh, it, there's no argument you can make for why conor mcgregor is getting an immediate title shot uh, i know he's done a lot of stupid shit which we don't really talk about on this show we just talk about the fights and we break them down conor's getting in there with khabib uh don't worry about rankings don't worry about anything else this is the fight to make and if you don't understand that i can't i can't help you i just can't so <laughs> uh so Connor jumps the line o- over, you know, Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, a couple of other probably very deserving people. Uh, and, it, you know, what baffles me too is that some of the same people who are saying Connor doesn't deserve a title shot are saying, like, Nate Diaz should fight Khabib for the title. So I, I don't really understand the logic uh, out there. But, uh, again, I, I got nothing for you if you think that Connor shouldn't get an immediate title shot uh because he wouldn't even fight if he didn't get one uh in any case this is this is the state of the lightweight division so because of this Dustin Poirier draws Nate Diaz uh who may or may not show up to the fight uh, the UFC wanted to put it on the same card as Conor and Khabib which is a great strategy because uh you know Khabib obviously has pulled out of a lot of fights at the last minute and had issues making weight Uh, then you have a top contender to replace them with at the last minute so that's an excellent strategy Uh, but Nate Diaz didn't want to be on the same card so he, he will be fighting Poirier allegedly in November but now there's been some talk of Nate Diaz saying I don't know if I want to fight he just settled a lawsuit with the UFC apparently which was holding up him being able to sign a fight contract and uh, the UFC was saying he was turning down fights and he says he's never turned down fights and there's a bunch of legal drama and, and it's just a mess Jeff, but Connor and Khabib is the fight we have on a table for the lightweight championship, undisputed lightweight championship. Uh, what are your thoughts on this
1: fight? Um, huh, man, uh, <laughs> it, it's tough. Right. Because, you know, I, I think they should have – I was excited for this fight like eight months ago, man. Um, I feel like uh, – I, kind of I kind of feel like I'm having an adrenaline dump where I was excited for this before, but now I'm like, all right, let, I don't even know if this is going to happen at this point. And I know the contract is signed, but there's still so much that could happen between now and October. But, Bill, looking at it from an analytical – and not emotional standpoint. I think this is a really interesting matchup because um Conor McGregor, obviously amazing on the feet. Uh he can kick as fast as some people can punch. And Kabib is the grappler. We know that he likes to hold people down and beat them up on the bottom while he's on top of them. But um in his striking, while it has improved somewhat, it's weird. He throws punches from weird angles. He also does this thing where he keeps his chin really high up when he does throw punches. So I think that leaves him a little bit susceptible to a left hand from Conor McGregor. Um, but Bill, I really hope that this Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier fight happens. I think that is a barn burner. Just the just hearing that is making my mouth water, Bill.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an exciting fight. And we can we can break down the Conor Khabib fight, obviously, as it gets closer. I do think it's a, a much more interesting matchup than a lot of people want to believe. Uh, You're already hearing talk of people writing off Conor McGregor, which I don't know why you would do that. I think people uh, let their emotions get the best of them when they're breaking down fights, and and that's just not the intelligent way to do it. You have to look at comparing the actual skill sets and forget about all the bullshit, which – uh, I think is really what we try to do here on this show we don't talk too much about the outside antics or social media feuds or or any kind of nonsense like that it's just about uh, you know compare this person's skill set to this person's skill set and and look at what they've done in the past and if you do that I think it's a very competitive fight and I'm looking forward to breaking it down as we get a little bit closer another title fight that was announced Darren till getting the title shot against Tyron Woodley uh, which is kind of uh, it, it's disappointing to hear because in the past we've seen guys uh, get turned down for title shots. Uh, John Lineker comes to mind uh, because he beat top contenders, but he didn't make weight, uh, and this was the case with Darren Till as well. And we have an interim champion in Cody Covington, Colby Covington, uh, who you know was told he was going to fight in November. And then he scheduled some kind of nose surgery that was very minor, but still would put him, uh, you know, make him not able to train for a while. Uh, And then the UFC changed their mind and said, no, we want Woodley to fight in September. And Colby Covington said, well, I'm not going to be ready. I got this surgery. You know, I thought we were going to do this in November. It was very, it was a very kind of convoluted situation. And then all of a sudden, the Darren Till fight was announced out of nowhere. Conor and Khabib, we've known for several months that this fight was going to be made. We just had to wait uh, until, you know, everything was settled between Conor and the and the, the very disappointing state of New York, <laughs> which I'm <laughs> ashamed to call my home state uh, some days. But, um <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, <laughs> I know we don't like to talk about the antics. They give them, like... Yeah, why don't you do some community service, and we'll just forget about it. uh, But meanwhile, they won't let fighters fight because of chapped lips. Uh, And then, So come on, New York. Go home. You're drunk. In any case, so the the Darren Tiltire-Woodley fight kind of came out of nowhere. It kind of flew under the radar. I don't think this is a very big-selling fight, but I don't know what kind of trash talk these two are going to get involved in between now and then. I think it's a very interesting fight. I don't think Darren Till is even a welterweight. Uh, <laughs> and he proved that in his last fight well, by missing weight by three and a half pounds or, or whatever it was, something significant. Uh, and granted, he had some extenuating circumstances there. But And then I thought he lost the fight to Wonderboy. Uh, I thought you know Wonderboy outpointed him for sure in that fight. But um, And he even said himself he wasn't deserving of a title shot. But here we are. This is the fight we have. Um, And, and, you know, I I can't be a hypocrite and say I don't understand why he's getting the title shot. Yeah, I understand it. You know, they want to build their market uh, over in Europe. They have this monster of a welterweight, you know, who's been knocking people dead. And, uh, you know, you have a a stagnant welterweight division because the champ uh, has not had very uh, exciting fights. And here's a guy who's going to get in his face and fight with him. So... I get why they're putting this fight together, uh, but you know, I guess the negative side of me needs to point out uh, why it shouldn't happen. But it is, and this is the fight we have. So, w- what are your thoughts, Jeff?
1: Yeah, Bill, I'm a little um, disappointed that this fight got made so soon, especially right after Colby Covington uh, won the interim belt because now he's going to get stripped of that so we don't get that champion versus champion match that i that i wanted but um i just felt like the fight with covington and woodley was a little bit more marketable you know they've already started the trash talk um you know uh they uh, they've been at each other's throats verbally and i just feel like Kobe covington deserves it unfortunately uh the timeline didn't match up and i don't know I've, I've never in recent memory i can't remember the ufc doing something like this where they say uh okay well you can't make it that day too bad somebody else is gonna get the title shot so i feel like uh covington's getting the short end of the stick here but uh another reason i'm a little disappointed is darren till didn't even make weight in his last fight like you said mm-hmm. uh But if I'm looking at this from, you know, a more technical standpoint and leaving my emotions out of it, I think this is a good fight, man. I think that, uh, Darren Till presents a lot of problems for Tyron Woodley. For one, he's gigantic, um, two, his, uh, striking. I think he kind of wins the striking bout, but then there's Tyron Woodley's wrestling. He's a really powerful guy. Um, you know, a lot of physical strength. And I think he can basically take down uh, Darren Till at will, I think, if he really wanted to. Tyron Woodley's a really good wrestler. And uh, we haven't seen Till go up against too many grapplers. So I'm interested to see how he deals with that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting fight. And uh, once I get over my gripes with the the weight issue and everything like that, you know I have have a pet peeve for guys missing weight. Uh, I'll be excited to break this one down as we get a little bit closer too. So we're going to have a week off. Uh, with the UFC, and then we have a fight night headlined by James Vick and Justin Gaethje. We can get into that next week. Uh, or actually, maybe we have two weeks off. I don't know. I'm not good with calendars. But uh, August 16th, we have coming up the Professional Fighters League. So that's a week from Thursday. And uh, this is the next event that I'm looking forward to, Jeff. It's headlined by some fast turnarounds. So Ray Cooper III, who just knocked out Jake Shields, uh, is going to headline this card over Pavel Kush, who is coming off a submission victory over Khabib's cousin, Abubakar Nurmagomedov, uh, who is also fighting on this card. And uh, we have a pretty exciting card. So Jake Shields also a quick turnaround after getting knocked out last month. Uh, he's going to come back and fight Herman Tirado. Uh We got Rick Story and Paul Bradley going at it. That's going to be a great fight. Uh, Eddie Gordon coming back on this one. Uh, Normaga Medoff is gonna face Jonathan Weston and then we have Kayla Harrison in her second professional mMA fight stepping up in in a competition a big step up in competition against the eight and one josette cotton uh, so this is actually a really exciting card uh, and takes place in your home state of New Jersey, Jeff in Atlantic City at the Ocean Resort Casino so. I don't know if you were aware that this card is happening. Obviously, we're, we're big fans of the PFL here on this show, so I always like to give them a little plug, and we can talk more about this card, take a deeper dive into it on next week's show. But uh, just give me your uh, initial reaction to this card here, Jeff.
1: Yeah, Bill, I was really excited that this card is in Jersey. It's going to be an AC, but I was unaware of who was on it so there's a lot of quick turnarounds a lot of guys i definitely want to see fight in there again so i might have to go check this one out and give you some live coverage bill yeah sounds good
0: we're gonna have to have you uh live on scene uh, live tweeting the event uh i imagine you'll be able to get some pretty good seats because the these pfl events uh have not exactly been selling out arenas which is unfortunate because it's an awesome format uh it's really cool what they're doing with the the tournament the million dollar prizes and the point system and uh you can go back and listen to old older episodes if you really want to hear a, a deep dive into these things but yeah so this card i believe it's pfl six yeah uh august 16th so definitely check that one out that's going to be exciting i I'm, I'm really interested in seeing kayla harrison getting back in there so quick um Made her MMA debut very impressively about a month or two ago. And uh, she looked great, but definitely taking a big step up in competition. Uh, so last thing I want to touch on before we sign off here, Jeff, uh, and that's I told you I was on vacation in Cape Coral, and I found this awesome rum distillery called the Wicked Dolphin. And they have a really cool history if you want to go and look into it or if you just want to you know, try some really great rum, then then go pick it up. I I believe they, they distribute, uh, pretty widely. So the history is that they were able to start making rum because there were some prohibition laws on the books in Florida that I guess nobody ever bothered to take off. So they had to go and fight those laws in order to be able to distill rum in the state of Florida, which is, uh, you know, one of the biggest sugar producers in the country. Of course, rum is a spirit that's made out of sugar. And, uh, you know, it, it's a really popular thing to have like all natural ingredients and everything like that they don't use like dyes or artificial flavors in their rums so they're actually really good so i wound up picking up a bottle of coconut rum and a bottle of vanilla bean rum and they were both really delicious their whole lines of, of rums were, were really good and the, the people at the distillery were really cool we got to have a little not a tour but we got to walk around and see the the barrels where the age of rum and everything and they they do a lot of experimentation with a lot of flavors they make a mango rum uh, pineapple they make a dark rum and it seems like they're always trying new things and and trying to come out with different things they just started uh, making vodka Uh, so wicked dolphin uh, if you see it in the store check it out if you're a rum fan and uh, what i usually don't like about rum is the Uh, The sweetness, obviously, because it's made out of sugar. Uh, I don't have much of a sweet tooth, Uh, and the sweetness of these rums are not overpowering. You can drink them straight, you can drink them on the rocks, and then, of course, you know, mix them up in in whatever your favorite uh, rum drink is—pina coladas or, you know, rum punch, anything like that. Uh, Have you been sipping on anything interesting, Jeff? I know you're you're getting getting over a cold, so uh, I I don't know if you cure colds the way I do
1: with the hot toddies. (laughs) <laughs> but uh,
0: anything, uh, any new beers or anything you want to talk about?
1: No, unfortunately, Bill, um, last week I felt awful um, and it was super humid. So I didn't really want to leave the house because I was like cold and hot at the same time. I I didn't want to put anything in my body, Bill, besides water. But um, next time I'll have something for you. But Bill, you talked about um, how you also went to a couple of breweries. Uh, while you were on vacation, did anything really stand out to you? Any breweries that uh, you kind of want to talk about?
0: Uh, yes. And the name is escaping me right now, so I'm doing a quick, quick uh, Google. Calusa Brewery. So uh, on my way back from Cape Coral, I stopped in Sarasota, Florida, which is like a big uh, spring break destination. And I stopped at a restaurant for some lunch, and they had this beer called. Uh, calusa and the it, it was the beer was called focus and it was a citrus ipa uh, very light very refreshing not overpowering with the citrus jeff this beer was so good i had to find out where the brewery was and i stopped to pick up a growler on my way home and then <laughs> and then i drank the growler that night uh, <laughs> So I don't, I don't think they're distributing yet. They're just starting to do canning and stuff like that. But if you ever find yourself in Sarasota, Florida, um, Calusa Brewery, C-A-L-U-S-A. And I, I didn't have the opportunity to try any other beers while I was there. um, Because I I did have the dog with us because we were driving back from the vacation and uh, they didn't allow dogs in the tasting room. So I just grabbed my growler and I hit the road, but, uh, I'm definitely going to keep them on my radar because I haven't had a beer in a long time, uh, where I was like, wow, I need to have more of this. Uh, I need to keep it, you know, in stock in the fridge. So, uh, that one definitely stuck out. Um, and then there was, a another brewery called bury me brewery that was actually in Cape Coral. They had like a whole, like grave digger theme going on, like, like all the tap handles were shovels and they had some really tasty beers as well. So if you find yourself in that area, uh check them out. Uh some some great IPAs for sure. I think they had like six or seven different IPAs. I tried them all. Um so you know, by the last by the last two or three I tried, um you know, everything kind of blurred together. But <laughs> <laughs> in any case, Calusa Brewery, Wicked Dolphin, Rum, um, yeah, yeah, I, I was on vacation, so I was definitely putting the booze back. And, uh, yeah, it was a good time. So uh, we covered a lot. This was a long show, I know. And, you know, we try to keep it in that 35 to 40-minute sweet spot, but I'm sure we went over that this time. Um, next week we'll, we'll have a, a little more time to go into detail on things uh, since we don't have too many fights coming up uh, until the end of the month, really. Uh, so that's all we got you want to get a hold of Jeff on social media, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And, of course, you guys know how to get a hold of me. Let me know what you're thinking and drinking out there. It's at MMA on the Rocks on all your favorite social media platforms. So until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.